This is The Mockery, the Forest Gate podcast, episode 8. No missing cats here. Bonjour, guten tag, ciao, hello. It's episode 8 of the Forest Gate podcast, and you'll be pleased to know it is nothing to do with Valentine's Day. None of that theme rubbish. Um, no, we timed it perfectly so we didn't have to include Cupid and his 15 quid flowers when actually they're normally half the price the rest of the year and it's all a big rip-off. No, I'm not bitter. I didn't get any cards but um, I have to say I'm more excited about Pancake Day at the end of the month because, um, well, it's, it's, it's all-inclusive and who doesn't like a pancake? Well, some of you might not like pancakes but that's, that's not the point, um, especially if you're intolerant to wheat. So yes, um, I digress. What have we got in this uh, episode, you might ask? Well, we'll be hearing later from Burgesson Hall, uh, the new winery in Winchelsea Road. And of course, we'll be having some more history from Lloyd. But first, we're going to speak to Adrian, who's a keen cyclist and sport physiotherapist. And as you can tell from his accent, he's not from these parts. Well, neither am I, actually, but um, you, you, you probably worked that out a long time ago. My name is Adrian Benz. Um, I've lived in Forest Gate since 2003. Obsessed with how things worked and in terms of the, the physicality of a bicycle, it, it was fascinating to me. Taking it apart, putting it back together again, that kind of thing. Um, I think cycling itself was about getting out of the village and getting away from home, if you like, really. Not almost terrible at all, but uh, yeah, seeing different places. And then, again, the cycling itself, you know, the stereotypical stuff, the wind in your air and sense of freedom was good and I very quickly learned that I liked going as fast as I possibly could, downhill particularly. And then later on I found that I liked going hard, pushing myself really hard and the bike's pretty unique for that. It becomes very much a mental game, dealing with the pain, just trying to pace properly and the only thing that stops you on the bike is your brain because you're just suspended on this machine where you can hide everything, condition and form and everything else so it's just it's a real mental game, it's, it's extremely tough. I think, as a sport, but most people think their own sport's the toughest. An intensive session, a top-end power, short duration, can be anything from just like a really thorough warm-up and six-second efforts absolutely flat out, produce as much power as possible. Um, there might be six, ten, even twelve of those until the power drops off by about ten percent and then I go and do something else. And more short, medium-term efforts can be, tend to be around three or four minutes which is just where your body goes from being anaerobic to aerobic and they're particularly painful. There's lots and lots of lactic acid build-up. Um, that's kind of very, very demanding. And then your longer-term stuff, your more aerobic stuff, it tends to be about developing like longer-term endurance and you're training your body to burn body fat. You know, So there can be like longer rides in the saddle. You know, when I see the saddle out on the road, out to my short-term stuff, on a, a static trainer, uh, which British cycle have developed. And then there's, a, there's a, a key one for cycling, which is a threshold work, which is like your sustainable pace for an hour. Um, and that really stresses your cardiovascular system. You've essentially got a mixture of all those components of training that you'll do more of one and less of the other at different times of year, depending on what you want to achieve. And I'm also someone who responds quite well to weight training. I help with my strength and power. And I tend to do that in the off-season and maybe just a bit of maintenance through the summer. So I've got a fairly scientific approach to cycling. At the moment, I should be on about eight hours a week, doing mainly endurance with some some short, sharp, intensive stuff as well. 
but the weather's not helping at the moment as well, <laughs> which is no, not really a valid excuse, valid reason. So yeah, it's very changeable, the, the, the training intensities and durations and the time of year. I'd much sooner see myself improving through training and see some quantifiable data than just win loads of races just because I'm genetically or naturally really good and I don't and, and I wasn't training for it. Luckily for me, that's never going to be an option. <laughs> and I've just, I've, as I said, had a break now from training, and I'm just getting to back into the stage where I'm panicking, <laughs> I'm overweight and unfit, <laughs> and the racing season just around the corner. But I'm trying to just pacify myself by saying, well, start racing when you feel ready to for it, rather than you know smacking me against the wall like I'm prone to doing. This is John from Wales, and you're listening to The Mockery. Thank you very much, Adrian. And you can often find him with a large crowd of ladies around him. No, not like that, because of Larry's extremely lively staffy. Um, we asked Larry for an interview, but alas, he just dribbled and rolled on his back. Talking of barking, I'm sure the news has come to your attention that Network Rail made a right cock-up on the barking to Gospel Oak overground service. They only installed the wrong overhead cable post, which means further closures at weekends, I'm afraid to tell you. And whilst we're on the subject of trains, because I know you love it, this week the new crossrail trains were tested to Liverpool Street before they are rolled out in May. So uh, there we go, exciting stuff, real news, this is, not fake news, it's all real news. So lucky old listeners. We finally got some space for your feedback, comments and queries, and there's a few of those round here. Here's what you had to say. Presumably a Roger Hargreaves fan, aka Happy Grumpy, has written in complaining about the sudden abundance of missing cat posters put up around the place on lampposts and bollards. She says, I'm happier for locals to stick up a poster if they're looking for their cat, but I'm grumpy about having it up too long. They continued, Can the people who put up a poster for a missing pussy have it off as soon as they found it? Thanks a lot for that, Happy. <coughs> Merrick Clark, formerly the Forest Gate Cheese with a Wheeze, has written in from her sickbed to let us know about the Knitaways, the new Forest Gate knitting group. Founder Knitterways, Ava and Avi, have written in to announce they had their first newbie knitter, and they want more. Avi Knitterway says, We love to see new members, and even so, we are nearly full. We always like to squeeze one more in. Jumbo-sized needles, we're sure. And finally, this one has come in from Chubby Dark Angel, Cherubin W. Ailes. He tells us, I didn't mind poor people, but you need poor places to put them in. It's not good for them to be here. We did ask for further comment, and he added, Love a pint. Always love a pint. Thank you, Cherubin Ales. Thanks for all that feedback. You know what we say every time. Send it in if you've got some. Even if you're slightly hesitant to go, just send it in. We want to hear about what you would like to hear on The Mockery. Failing my interview for Brentwood Public School, the shot from Busters 410 on Dagenham Marshes, head over the handlebars into the tarmac on the Heathway. My art teacher, Pat Cope, advises me one day, out of the blue, go to art school. Green as grass, I ask, what's an art school? 
I escaped to an art school. I, if people say, what does that mean? It means I escaped to an art school. That's my biggest escape of all. I just loved art schools. I just loved them to bits. That, to me, you know, art school meant everything to me. I went to art school and I found my home. One of Forrest Gates' real artists has an exhibition soon. Who is he? Be warned, there's a bit of beeped out language in this interview. My name is Jeff Brunel. I live in East London. I've been in East London most of my life. Uh, my exhibition is called Selfies at 70, Jeffrey Brunel, Unexpurgated. I'm not part of the generation that uses the camera for selfies. I've only ever used single in ref- reflex cameras, so uh, this, this idea of the phone and the selfie is not something I'm familiar with. So really, I've appropriated a kind of um, contemporary term to kind of use it as a structure for a series of self-portraits that I've made. So the exhibition has got 25 poems in it and at least 25 paintings, probably slightly more. So each self-portrait will have be hung on a wall and a poem that's from the book will be hung next to it, which are again fairly autobiographical in nature but they're independent of that, although a lot of the substance of the work is to do with moral propositions and things, again, that have happened in my life. I spent a lot of time working on something, and the next day I spent a lot of time unfucking what I did the day before. <laughs> that's, part of the, that's part of my process. I know that I'm going to unfuck it again and again and again. You know, one of the poems came to me when I'm washing the floor, the kitchen floor, and it came to me in a complete thing. You know, it's based on and other poems I'd written about internet dating at the age of 69, uh, which is where the poetry started, because a woman wrote to me about a poem she'd written for somebody, and I thought, well, she sounds nice. I'll write her a poem. And I wrote this poem, and it's very brief, but before I could send it to her, she it off the, She just disappeared off the site. But that's how I started writing poetry. <laughs> you can see Jeff's work at the Espacio Gallery, 159 Bethnal Green Road. The nearest tube is Shoreditch High Street DLR. The gallery is open Tuesday to Sunday, 1pm onwards, from the 14th of March. If anybody finds anything I've said remotely interesting, <laughs> uh, I'd be very pleased to see you there and um, be interested to see your response. And now for a whinge from me. If you are going to eat your fried chicken in your car, please put it in the bin and not chuck the remnants out of the door and onto the road. Yeah? I mean, really, it's it's very simple. Um, although those who are doing it are unlikely to be listening to the mockery, really, are you? I mean, it is the equivalent of uh, talking about R&B on Classic FM. But um, now, moving on, what was in the area before the railways, before the houses popped up, and before the birth of the chicken shop. Well, we're going to hear from Lloyd and delve back into time. Come on, Doc, rev up the DeLorean. Straight scuts. Roads where we're going, we don't need roads. Or controlled parking at that. I became very interested in the prehistoric uh, British way of life, the seasonal cycle. I'm not a pagan, but in the the old pagan festivals, uh, the circle of the year, and the prehistoric landscape. The first reference, the earliest reference uh, in writing to 
the whole borough, which used to be the area, which used to be called Ham, is dated about 958, and it's a charter by King Edgar, who was just becoming the king of the English. But this local area was all part of an ancient manor, an area with a lord of the manor that sported probably two, three hundred people across its entire extent, some of which um, is currently part of the Olympic site. That manor is mentioned in a charter of Richard I, dated 1189. It was given by one of William the Conqueror's cronies to Stratford Abbey and was therefore Abbey Lands. And the monks were worried because the men of the forest, uh, and we are at Forest Gate, we're on the edge of the forest, waited until their grange, which is basically a part of Osborne Road on the Woods Grange Estate, that's where it was sited, would be full of grain and they'd come and raid it. So the monks got uh, a protective charter from Richard I on his way to the Crusades and no doubt having raided their treasury, he granted them protection against the men of the forest. So... We've been a manor for a long time, but it was a, a manor with a village which, by 1825, had its first estate of houses, the Broadway estate. So 1825, uh, that's before the railway came. And this was the row of um, two up, two downs, some of which still exist, which became the home to about a thousand people. And I found a brilliant report uh, to the non-conformist uh, committee in Stratford from one Jabez leg to the effect that the little village of Forest Gate was the more, most godless and deprived in the entire country. This was in, in support of his uh, request that he be allowed to form a non-conformist mission in Forest Gate uh, which he did, duly did with his partner, William Strange. Uh, and for £240, they built what was at first the Nonconformist Mission House, uh, a building which still exists across the market square today. For a brief while, it was going to be Pyramid Pizza. There were plans to knock it down, and I, for one, would certainly uh, join any campaign to save it, uh, because the heritage of Newham, we're losing it all the time. I mean, a building even in the 60s in Forest Gate that ought to have been saved, the home of Joseph Lord Lister, a person of worldwide historical importance opposite West Ham Park, uh, was knocked down. So that chapel, and it's been a chapel, it's been an very early radical club premises. The Jehovah's Witnesses hired it for a while. It's been a cinema. Um, I remember it as, I think it was Bayless Glass Company. It's been all sorts of things. But it's an, a central physical element of the history and culture of Forest Gate. So that would be my defence if I saw that there were plans to knock it down. The ancient manor of Woodgrange was, was large and parts of it got sold off bit by bit and, and various uh, much more recent manor houses, including the one that Manor Park refers to. That's the only manor house that still exists. It's just over the border from Forest Gate. But various sections of the entirety of the Woodgrange manor were sold off. 
many by Samuel Gurney, uh, who was a, a Quaker and a philanthropist, a remarkable character, and um, at a time when, for example, Jews were excluded from business life and found it difficult to acquire land for cemeteries, he sold two parts of the manor uh, for cemeteries and which remain as Jewish cemeteries. This is Russell the Roofer, and you are listening to The Mockery. <laughs> is it still running? I mean, personally, I can't stand Forest Gate, but uh, no, yeah, I just get paid loads uh, by the Mockery team to host this show. Handsomely, in fact. Um, what? Oh, I'll be back on. Oh, right. Hey, hello. Right, great. We're back again. Um, great. Uh, that was the history section. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, a few complaints in. Uh, one here from Jackie said, That was the worst impression of Doc Brown I've ever heard from Back to the Future. Please do not do impressions again. So apologies about that. Um, well, word on the grapevine is there's a new wine shop in the area. And we have a corker of an interview here for you. So before I bottle it and cease the puns, let's talk to Rosamond from Burgesson Hall in Winchelsea Road. Oh, stop whining and have a listen. Right, I'll I'll stop now. My name is Rosamond Hall. I'm one half of Burgess and Hall Wines. The Burgess uh, is Paul Burgess. We are sitting currently in our 100 square metres of lovely railway arch in Forest Gate, um, just down on Winchelsea Road. And yeah, we've been open now since uh, just before Christmas. We are a wine shop. We're a wine bar. Um, We will soon to be hopefully a great destination for wonderful cheese and meat and such delights. And yeah, we're very, very happy to be here. I'm originally from East London, so as you can probably tell from my thick Cockney accent, but um, Myland-born. Paul and I had had a little business before this, a wine business. We used to work together um, in a wonderful independent wine shop, um, but got to that point where we were a bit sick of working for somebody else and decided, well, we should go and set up. So about two years ago, we set up Burgesson Hall. We had a wonderful kind of pop-up business. We were doing tastings and dinners, um, lots of things in the local area. We kind of felt that the next step was wanting to open our own space. We didn't want a high street location. We'd been looking at various things around this this area. We wanted somewhere that was versatile so that we could have our tastings and our dinners that we love doing so much. I think this really is an incredibly unique part of London. I genuinely believe that. We knew Dan at the Once Said Tap. It was Dan who said, well, you know, the arch next to us is vacant. That could be completely perfect. And it just felt like the kind of the right place at the right time. And it's just great. We love it. By a bit of fortuitous luck, really, Forest Gate and Burgesson Hall Wines have happily found each other and we don't want to go anywhere. It's going really very well. I think I think Paul and I both um, are 
not surprised in the sense that we, you know, we want to create basically um, the kind of wine place that we would love to go to. It's a wine shop, so you can come and buy a bottle and, and take it away. And we've got a large selection and that's growing only, you know, over the coming weeks. We've got lots of lovely new things coming in. I'm talking about wines that just, you know, they're generally from small independent producers, family-run estates. Um, some of them may have been going for generations. Some of them might be new um, younger winemakers who are starting off on their own I think people are really interested in trying different new things and then at the weekend we're open on a Friday and Saturday currently till 11 o'clock in the evening so on a Sunday from 1 till 6 so we have always a massive range of um, bottles on the bar with a number on the front and that's the price per glass and this is just always a selection of some delicious wonderful things some you may have heard of some wines you may never have heard of and that's kind of the beauty of it you can come in you can just try everything it's just a lovely kind of way to explore wine to explore new grapes um and i think people have really kind of are enjoying that we we really want to be a um a very neighbourhood style place. We will continue to improve and make the place better and lovelier and continue to get amazing wines and the events side of things will only grow. So just stay connected to us and we will hopefully have something that you'll love the sound of. When we worked in another shop, the number of people would walk in and the first thing they would say is, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about this. Is just, it's it's it kind of makes my heart sink a little bit but then I think well it's okay we can do something about this. My wine journey started with absolutely adoring Liebfraumilch and you know Black Tower Riesling was for me I thought perfect and then it's only over time and trying different stuff and you know everything still has a place but I think that when it comes to wine, it is probably one of the most poorly marketed products because a five-pound bottle of wine, for all intents and purposes, looks exactly the same as a first-growth Bordeaux. So by that, I mean wines that cost hundreds and hundreds of pounds a bottle. And there is this risk element. So that's why you always find a huge number of bottles open on the bar. So, you know, you can try something. You don't have to have the fear. And I think this is so much about what we want to create here is this wonderful space where you will just come and have a good time. You can come into here and you can say to Paul or myself, I'm wanting to spend, I don't know, eight to 10 quid on whatever, a nice red or white, what can you recommend? And we can talk you through a range of options. And that's the difference. You can have a conversation about it. And always we'll say, look, if you don't like it, bring it back we'll find something else you know we'll get to know your tastes and you know we can open it try a bit of it and that way you start to you know build up a little bit of confidence around it um in the same way of trying any new food or whatever and just yeah get over the fear thing because it's not scary it's just tasty so yeah i think just come and have a nice chat and we promise you won't feel scared you'll only feel like you've been a given a big wine hug basically wine hugs are good they really are hi my name's Miri and you're listening to the mockery well thank you Rosamond so that was Rosamond from Burgess and Hall wines I'm certainly not scared of wine although I am scared of blue nun mainly from my student days uh, which is not repeatable here and wine hugs sound most intriguing. 
I'm, I'm used to wine hangovers, but hugs sound incredible. So do make your way to Winchelsea Road for a wine hug and uh, drink responsibly. Uh, I've got another complaint here from Lara. Please stop the puns. You're the worst podcast host in the world. I'd rather hear Nigel Farage and Sean Spicer at a karaoke night than hear your awful jokes. So, uh, thanks for that. Excellent stuff. Keep coming. Keep them coming in. Uh, not from Lara, but from, from others. Um, well, well, that is all we've got time for this month. So do please join us in March when spring is in the air. So we must thank our contributors, Adrian, Rosamond and Lloyd. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Goodbye. Interviews were conducted by Dan Highland, Gary Reed, and myself, Tom Gratian. Internet and technical stuff by Dan Highland. Links and funny stuff by myself, Tom Gratian. Editing, planning, and production by Gary Reed. This is The Mockery, the Forest Gate podcast. Tell us what you think about Forest Gate by writing or sending a short audio file to the Forest Gate podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at The Mockery. Opening and closing music was Set the Fire by Swimming Tapes. For details of other music and sound effects used, please visit themockery.com for links. Thanks to Chock Chock Creative Limited and Coffee 7. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the contributors providing them and do not represent the makers of the Mockery podcast. This was a 2017 GMTD production for the Forest Gate podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Can I have more fabulous, perfect food, please? Nom, 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 uh, It's all fake news. It's phony stuff. It didn't happen, but it should never have been released. I think it's a disgrace. And I say that, and I say that. I think it's a disgrace.